0: Forget come with us. I'm not, I'm not the movie Oubliette. Hello, bonjour and sour crap listeners. Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the Intercontinental Ballistic Podcast for Forgotten Fantastical Films, with me, Conrad, pretending I don't care about the Oscars in Cambridge,
1: UK. And me, Dan. I uh, always failing to watch any of the movies nominated for the Oscars in Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) We
0: focus on sci-fi, horror and fantasy because we love anti-gravity ladders, secret romances that continue in the afterlife and Asian women crawling
1: out of our sink. Dan, how are you? Oh, very well, very well. And you, Conrad, how are you today?
0: Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm just back from my fourth viewing of 1917.
1: What? You're obsessed.
0: I know, it's not good, is it? After recently saying that I never go back to the cinema to watch the same movie more than once, this movie I just seem to be stuck on. I I also blame the fact there's nothing else that's come out that uh, I'm really interested yes. in. So. It's that time of
1: year, January is... Uh Shit movie month so
0: Yeah, it is It's a place where they Dump horror remakes That <laughs> they have no faith in Like The Grudge Which Whoa. I saw tanked terribly Yeah <laughs> <laughs> What have you been up to?
1: Well, I mean uh, I've been a bit off work At the moment So just getting through My Netflix And streaming Watch list uh, <laughs> Slowly oh. But uh, yeah Watching a lot of Horror movies I have to say That The Fourth Kind Is not a good movie And oh. no one should ever ever watched that movie I will have to say that the remake of Maniac is insanely good but I will probably never watch it again because I was just rocking gently in the corner after watching that it is so deeply (laughs) disturbing
0: yeah it is yeah you never look at Elijah Wood the same way again after that
1: movie do you really never gonna watch Flipper or Lord of the Rings ever again
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's scarier than when he was in Sin City, actually,
1: because he was a scary guy. Yeah, that's true. He can do scary with those eyes of his. Oh, yes, he can. He can. So anything in the mailbag today, Conrad?
0: Yes, on House we got comments from Finding the Dots on Instagram who said, House was one of those movies that scared the living crap out of you as a kid, but as an adult you just laugh your head off. But it's all down to the tech of the time. The VHS mm. sounds and the older style TVs made it creepy as hell. So it's right. interesting.
1: yes, yes. I didn't have those memories of of childhood, of being scared. So, yeah, I I definitely did laugh a lot at this film. Yeah. And,
0: of course, Serge from Cold Crash Pictures, he rendered his opinion on House, and it was a beautifully written tweet, as always. Mm. He said... I've said before that some horror comedies are too scary to be comedies or too funny to be horrors. Well, I think House isn't funny enough to be a comedy or scary enough to be a horror, right. and yet I didn't hate it. It's oh. got a weird tone, but its sincerity is refreshing. So he liked it to oh, me, in it, but wow. found it odd.
1: I, I would agree <laughs> with you, apart from not liking it, I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so, Daniel Pulliam got in touch in response to our Neverending Story analysis on YouTube I to say that he has painstakingly recreated the international cut of the Neverending Story using the German Blu ray. To get the better picture quality. Oh wow! Yeah, really patient guy, and he's called it the Orin edition, and he's on Twitter as definitive svst. If you want to get in touch with him and find out more about it, mm, yeah.
1: Sounds like a lot of work. It does. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's done some amazing fan edits. Like he took David Fincher's Seven, he didn't like the way it had been recolored on Blu ray. So he painstakingly recolor timed it to match the original Criterion Laserdisc and DVD
1: edition. No way. So, <laughs> oh, my God. It's dedication. <laughs> Yeah, so lots of fun things in the mailbag. Mmm. Conrad, you did mention the remake of The Grudge tanking at the Mm. box office this week. Is it about time we dive into the international section of the Ooblet?
0: Yeah, that sounds like fun. Why don't you go and explore? We've never been in that section before.
1: Okay. -ah. Hey, who turned off the lights? I can't, I can't see anything. And what's with the flashes? And is there someone here with me? I can hear something. I think I've got it. Gotta get out. Can I go first? Okay, I'm back. But Stroby down there. Don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange. And I have with me today the 2004 Thai film Shutter. Oh. It's directed by, I am going to butcher all of these <laughs> names, uh, <laughs> Bangjong Pisanthanakun and Park Pakpum Wongpum. Oh. And it's written by the aforementioned names as well as Sofon Sakdakfisit. Oh my. Sorry, I am very, very sorry to pronounce these names. And I don't even know whether it's worth me trying to pronounce the actors' names. <laughs> but I'll try. Uh, it stars... Ananda Everington as Tun, Nath Wirinook, Tongmi as Jane, Achita Sikamana as Nat, Unnop Changpaibol as Ton, and Khan Tung Prasyeth as Jim. Wow.
0: <laughs> I think that was a brave attempt. We're going to have this problem if we do international movies. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes.
1: So what's it about? So, one fateful night, Jane and Tun are driving home from a wedding, only to mistakenly hit a girl standing in the middle of the road with their car. Oh. Overcome by panic, the two drive away without investigating the girl's body. What unfolds is a tale of guilt, betrayal, terror and mystery as both Jane and Tun are haunted by the ghost of the girl within photographs that Tun takes. To stop the terror, they have to follow the clues left by the spectre, discovering who she really is and uncovering Tun's dark secret. Who is the villain in this story? The ghost or Tun himself? (gasps) Oh my... It's very exciting. (laughs) And we will have a special guest joining us to discuss our very first foreign language film. Yes. After the break...
0: And we're back. And we're not alone. We're joined today by genre journalist, podcast host and founder of Something Ghoulish, a multimedia platform made up of exquisitely produced video essays, entertaining podcasts and intriguing think pieces celebrating all things horror. Mm. I'm very excited to welcome Anthony Darrington. <laughs> Welcome. Hello, ghosts and ghouls. Thank you for having me on. It is very exciting to have you here.
2: I'm excited to be a part of this conversation today. You have a wonderful podcast and both of you are so eloquent in your deliveries. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of this process and see what we cook up together. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: uh, in the last couple of days, I've been binge watching all of your video essays and I'm learning so much about film. It's great. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying them. Do you have any favorites? Oh, I love the one. Uh, about Jaws and the, the oh the, the Lady Dune. of the Dunes oh, yeah that's yeah. yeah the Lady <laughs> of the Dunes and uh, also the one about Dario Gento and Expressionism and the Adams Family one oh it's just it's amazing I'm learning so much
2: oh good that's phenomenal I'm glad <laughs> you're able to take something away from that yeah. those are always so particular because I'm I always worry that is this something people know is it worth covering because it's always such a process but uh, that makes me happy to hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners should definitely subscribe to your channel and check those out because just mind blowing seeing these incredible stories about Jaws and their connection to a real crime and the socio political context for the Adams family, which I had no idea about. It's fascinating stuff. And the animation and the production of those videos is incredible. And your narration, I love your narration <laughs> style on those. So good.
2: Thank you very much.
0: It's sort of like a true crime documentary. It's really thrilling.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I call it my Roman Mars voice. Um, he does 99% invisible and... Everything on Radiotopia, so... Uh (laughs) Uh Ah,
0: well, Roman Mars has often said that Radiotopia's aim is to broaden the radio landscape, and you're kind of broadening our horizons, too. Yeah. Because the film you've picked for us today is our first ever non-English language film it's amazing. We've been doing this for 40-odd episodes now, and we've never done a film in a language other than English, which is really bad. (laughs) So, the film you've chosen is Shutter, a 2004 Thai horror movie. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about why you picked it and what this film means to you.
2: Yeah, so I'm very close with my aunt, and she was the person who kind of got me into all things creepy and spooky. You know, it started with kind of like the original Rod Serling Twilight Zone episodes, and And then went from like Scooby-Doo and onwards um, until more extreme things. uh, She exposed me to orphanage. Mm. And then this. And this was one of my first foreign language horror films. Next to uh, <laughs> Riccio. Oh, if, yes. If either of you have seen that,
1: I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of things. <laughs> it,
2: yes, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, so this was kind of one of my first foreign language horror films that I was ever exposed to, pun intended, completely. <laughs> and it stuck with me. It stuck with me a lot because it, it showed me how. Terrifying films from different countries could truly be, and how good they could be, too. Mm. So, I have to thank her for that.
1: Very cool. Mm. Because this film in the sort of horror community has got a Pretty good reputation in terms of being the scariest movie ever made. It's always on the top 10 list for everyone. Was it terrifying for you? Oh, there were still scenes that,
2: um, you know, even the other evening where, you know, we had all our lights off, we were playing it on our big TV. And, you know, there's still some of those moments that make me just rub my arms, uh, you know, trying to get rid of the goosebumps. Yeah. Even some of the jump scares in there, it, it still works.
1: Yes, because I delayed my watching of this film for many, many years because I'm a bit of a, a wuss with, a, with ghost <laughs> stories. They, For some reason, ghost stories for me are just the scariest, most frightening things. And especially with Asian horror, I just can't deal. Mm. I remember seeing... It wasn't even the original, but I saw the remake of The Ring, and I just, for weeks, I just wasn't sleeping. And similarly, when I saw the original, The Grudge, just no sleep. Yeah. And so I knew I will maybe hold off on Shutter because of the interpretation. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I remember
0: in this country, Ring, the original version of Ring, premiered on Channel 4 on television. And it was introduced by the film critic Mark Kermode. And he said, Brace yourself. The last scene in this movie will scare the shit out of you. And having (laughs) just gone through the 90s horror period where everything was sort of postmodern and not very serious and I hadn't seen anything genuinely scary for years, Mm. I thought, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. I bet this is boring. And it scared the living crap out of me. And I was watching it in my bedroom with a TV in the corner of the room. And, yeah, I was not comfortable sleeping with the TV there anymore it's not good yeah I think those
2: films especially like in western culture had such a long long lasting effect even the remakes did I have never seen the remake of this though I feel like that would
0: be sacrilege Um, (laughs) I
1: couldn't do it spoilers it's awful
0: (laughs) yeah I watched that last night actually for comparison purposes so that was interesting (laughs) usually people say interesting when they mean bad (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, this is part of the real... Asian horror phenomenon that was launched with J horror with Ringu in 1999 from Hideo Nakata and the same director's Dark Water in 2002 The Grudge which was recently remade again and this is a later entry 2004 but what's interesting is it comes from Thailand and I'm not really sure there were many films swept up in this phenomenon that came from Thailand or Mm. broke through
1: on the international stage.
2: Right, right.
1: I mean this is only thai horror i've ever seen the other thai movies i've ever seen are all martial arts films right so yeah it's interesting that it's got such a huge reputation being the only one i guess
0: Mm. yeah
2: international films especially asian films it's kind of a double-edged sword it seems that the only ones that tend to kind of break that international barrier are um ones that are hyper violent or extreme or kind of are in genre yes and it's wonderful that we're exposed to these films, but it's also unfortunate because I'm sure these countries have way more amazing films to offer, mm. but they're not being taken in by, I guess, average viewers. Mm. Yeah, that's mm.
1: true. I mean, you're, you're right about the the whole um, Asian horror because I feel like after The Ring, it's just a huge outpouring of all these very sort of Ring-esque films with some creepy girl with white makeup and a weird white dress or something (laughs) yeah
0: there's a lot of girls in white dresses with black hair crawling out of sinks and so on (laughs) for a few years i mean this film coming out in 2004 it does feel very much like a collection of what had become fairly familiar Mm. horror movie cliches from the region Mm -hmm. and even hollywood as well so you've got the car accident that haunts the driver from i know what you did last summer in 97 you've got haunting through distorted imagery so instead of video it's photographs in this case compared to ring and the wet black hair emerging from sinks which is in practically all of them <laughs> <laughs> A horrifying leering entity at the foot of the bed which is familiar from a tale of two sisters And even the false ending from The Ring, where you think everything's been settled because the pretty much standard tradition in ghost movies that if you find their body and lay them to rest, then everything is fine. But, oh, no, it isn't. There's (laughs) there's an extra sting in the tail. So it does feel like it's almost a greatest hit. It makes me wonder whether this is very much founded in a Thai tradition or whether it's sort of responding to and trying to capitalize on trends that it was seeing elsewhere.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. I had a very hard time finding any type of um, translated interviews with the director Mm. but I mean one thing we could even look at with contemporary horror films or or maybe the horror of America that stand out the most are typically films that take elements from the past and reinterpolate them. Mm. And, you know, you go from Peeping Tom to Psycho, um, and then you can go from that to, to Halloween or Black Christmas to Halloween, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you go from, you know, the 1960s all the way to now, you you kind of take all these elements that you just blend together and it creates this completely new thing. And I think horror as a genre does that very well. So Shudder being kind of a collection of all these tropes, I think may Maybe that kind of led to its success. At least in Thailand, I know this was, I think their highest grossing film when it came out and it grossed worldwide at nearly 7 million or something like that. Mm, mm.
1: Wow. I've, I've always tried to kind of figure out why does Asian horror freak me out so much is it just the, the surreal scenes you know, with girls rising out of sinks or walking on the ceiling like I do, I'm still trying to figure out why it's so creepy and so much creepier than Western horror I I wonder if it's a part of
2: like unnatural behavior because a lot of the time you know you, you have these uh, vengeful spirits who will just be standing there shrouded in their black hair so they obviously you can of have this immediate contrast of long black hair and white clothing and then pale skin Mm. Um, so there's like immediate juxtaposition in appearance and maybe kind of an unnatural aesthetic about it all Mm. Mm.
0: one of the things that really fascinates me is that in the asian tradition there is much more of a propensity for the malevolent spirit to be female Whereas most of the boogeymen you find in Western horror stories, they tend to be a male figures. They tend to be your Freddy Kruegers and your Michael Myerses and your Jasons and so on. Whereas it's almost exclusively vengeful women in this culture, which I think makes it quite uh, different for a Western audience to watch.
1: Mm the ghosts in these kind of movies are always quite tangible as well they're not just specters they're not see-through they are otherworldly but they still look like they're in the scene and for me that that seems terrifying right
2: mm. they pose an immediate threat yeah. and um, I guess on the topic of ghosts and, and kind of this while I was watching it the other evening one of the things that came out to me you know James Wan's Conjuring universe is so prevalent now mm-hmm. um, we have a third one coming out this year and I noticed almost like some of the tropes, it seems like he maybe was inspired by in Shudder. You have Tan, the main character from Shudder, his sheets and him being pulled down while he's laying in his bed, and that's a trope in The Conjuring. Mm -hmm. James Wan has kind of constructed maybe like a rule set of how these ghosts operate, and I feel like he also makes the ghosts in his universe very real and very tangible, and of course they disappear, but they're very physical, and being able to see this in a film from 2004, and the first Conjuring film was what, 2012, maybe, 2013? I don't know. I feel like that's one of the things that made me excited to revisit this and and see it like maybe this film is still relevant in its fear and its tactics, and it feels very um, on point. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yes, it does. I mean, what what's really great about this film is it isn't too of its time. It doesn't date too much. Some of the makeup effects for the ghost maybe do look a bit cheap now, but it's not really of its time. Like it could have come out sort of in the 90s, it could have come out in the 2010s. A lot of these kind of Asian horror movies coming out in the late 90s and early 2000s, there's this fascination with technology or technology being terrifying. I find similarities between uh, this and the movie Pulse, mm-hmm. where there's like a, a computer virus that haunts people or something like that. And I guess it comes out of the Asian culture being very technology-obsessed, but there's this kind of fascination with technology infecting our lives in a sort of horrifying way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and also a tension between the modern and the traditional, so... You will have a ghost haunting people but through a modern technological means. So it's sort of spiritualism plus technology. Uh I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's a lot of the time it's the vengeful ghosts of women is because it's trying to deal with the oppression of women and this idea of women getting their revenge in the afterlife for all the terrible things that men do to them in life. (laughs) And I think that this clash between the religious traditions and culture of the country and the modernity that's coming from Western culture and from their own technological changes on society, I think it's, yeah, the relationship and the friction between the two are quite interesting. And it's Mm. particularly relevant with Thailand because I think Thailand is widely regarded, I think, as being sort of an unspoiled old world paradise compared to hong kong or japan so you will often find that movies like the eye which is a hong kong movie will be set in thailand just because they want to get that rich cultural heritage in this sense that something supernatural and magical could happen there because it's still sort of a pre-modern civilization almost
1: in a way yes I mean, I think also in, in Asian culture, they are very superstitious people. Mm. So the fact that there's all the spirit photography in this movie, where where you see like ghosts or images in in photography being believed as being just spirits of lost relatives and friends and stuff and it's so ingrained in their culture and even when uh tun is trying to escape from the ghost in, in one of the later scenes and he's going down the stairs and he keeps arriving on the same floor which is level four the number four is a highly unlucky number in asian culture so there's a lot of that sort of superstition. And belief of people not passing on that's sort of ingrained in this film, which is like really fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, with the number four, I think, isn't it? Because it, the way it's pronounced in Chinese, it sounds very similar to die or death. Something mm. like that. Yeah. 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 Correct. Correct. That's what I read. Yeah. yeah. So if we think about the story for this movie, It's very much the story of the vengeful spirit and it's one of those mysteries where the central characters are trying to figure out why the ghost is bothering them, what exactly it's seeking justice for. And when you get to the awful truth behind it, it's so awful, so shocking and one of the main characters is implicated in it, you're kind of left wondering... Why that character didn't put two and two together, or how much do they know? I I was kind of confused by that.
2: I think that up until a certain point, I think Ton knows in some regard that <laughs> uh, he's fucked, um, <laughs> and I think he knows like um, something is coming for him, and I I think he knows that it's his ex. And I think we're kind of putting the perspective of Jane and we're kind of playing catch up. So so Tun knows what what's already going on at a certain point. He makes some type of comment where he says, oh, I don't know, like they're all killing themselves. I I don't know why this is happening. And he seems (laughs) uncertain. And you can kind of read that as like, oh, you know what's happening. You're just not. You're not facing facts. You're not facing reality. <laughs> and, and so it's maybe this kind of uh, lack of responsibility or, or lack of um, self-awareness on Ton's part. I think it plays very well just with how ignorant, blissfully ignorant he, he wants to be mm. in his own peril, in his own situation that he's manifested for himself.
1: I mean, one question I did have about the ghost is what was her end goal? Was her end goal to get all the guys killed, including ton or was it to just be with ton because spoilers here huge twist at the end she's on his shoulders the whole time that's why he has a sore neck was that her end goal to haunt him on his shoulders for all time because there is many scenes where she's scaring the shit out of him to the point where, yeah, he almost dies many times. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was a bit confused about what her motivations were. Yeah, yeah
2: I wonder if it's kind of um, a meditation on relationships. And when we enter into relationships, we're making a pact with someone that, you know, we're going to figure this out no matter what. Um, We're going to be there for one another. And when Tan is not fully invested in the relationship, he he's kind of doing it out of maybe pity which is a horrible reason to be in a relationship <laughs> yeah. and obviously when it comes time for him to step up he doesn't and he can't mm. or he's just a coward and he, he just can't make that type of sacrifice within his quote unquote friend group so I wonder if you know she was fully invested into it and it's kind of like a we said we were going to be together forever live with the weight of what you've done to me, mm. literally and figuratively on your shoulders.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very literal sort of Jacob Marley carrying this, your sins behind you. Right, right. Of. It's kind of nice in its ambiguity, because on the one hand, it is like she's forcing him to bear the weight of what he did. But also, she was depicted as being very clingy and demanding and needy in their relationship And she's really clingy after she's died. So (laughs) (laughs) it kind of functions as both that she really can't let him go. I mean, it tries to have two different revenge ghost story tropes going on. It has one which is the old substitute death revenge whereby she's forcing the people who tormented her to live out the way that she committed suicide because she killed herself by throwing herself off of a building and Mm -hmm. I think it's implied that's what happened to all of Tun's friends certainly you see one of them throw himself off of a balcony Mm -hmm. and she makes Tun do it twice Uh, (laughs) but strangely he seems to be remarkably able to survive throwing himself off of a three or four story balcony yes. because he reappears with really minor wounds, superficial wounds that don't even mm. mess with his looks, which is, yeah, quite something.
2: The soft concrete broke his fall. Oh, ah,
0: yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> he seems very bouncy, Tun. He really does. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's worth talking about some of the, I guess, the scary scenes. Because most of them do give clues to what has happened to the ghosts I think her name's Nett. Yeah. Yeah, so all of these clues, like she threw herself off a building and the photographs and, and stuff like that, and the laboratory that she ended up getting raped by of friends. But some of the scary scenes uh, I felt were scary for the sake of being scary and didn't really provide any plot or any clues or anything. One of them being when he's driving – And she's just inexplicably floating outside the window and then um, (laughs) suddenly perched on top of his car. What did you guys think of some of those scenes? I I felt they were almost unnecessary.
2: Yeah, I think they were probably for the sake of being scary. I I can't really think on too many scenes where what she is doing is maybe related to something that happens later down the road. I think maybe in some of the deaths of how she kills some of Ton's friends, that is purposeful, but you know, her walking upside down on the ceiling or her at the kind of the foot of the bed. I think it's maybe even this, nagging presence or this force that's just like you're never going to get a second to just breathe and relax like I am always going to be kind of in the corner of your eye you know I'm, I'm always going to be on your shoulder or in your ear mm. until you eventually either kill yourself or just give up and go crazy mm. Mm. yeah
0: I do think that one thing that disappointed me with this movie when I watched it for the first time is that it failed a lot of the time to generate sufficient tension out of its scenes to actually make make them frightening a lot of them fell flat for me for example this scene where Tun is in his dark room developing some photographs and a female figure walks in and stands beside him and he obviously sees it in the corner of his eye and he just assumes this is jane this is his girlfriend and then the telephone rings and he runs outside to pick it up and answer it and Jane is on the line so then he's immediately thinking who is that that's in the dark room so that's a really good scare that should be really creepy and it does strike me as creepy but it's not really ramped up in terms of tension because the scene starts really quickly, the female figure stands next to him almost immediately and there isn't a long drawn out period of tension where there's awkwardness and he's speaking to her and not getting an answer or something. The phone just rings immediately so it's sort of bang 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 really quick and as a result i didn't feel anything i was just oh it wasn't her oh okay Mm. and i expect differences one of the things i love about seeing films from a different culture is that they will do things differently and i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of asian horror movies are so creepy is because they defy conventions that we're used to and they give us something different and it sets you off guard and surprises you but i don't think that's what's going on here i think it's just not very good filmmaking sometimes
2: Mm. i think you know i definitely agree i I think the one of the biggest weaknesses of this film that I'll even admit is that it? Definitely doesn't take enough time to kind of let you ruminate in their perspective. It lets you know almost immediately that um, there's a supernatural force going on. Even as soon as that scene, or or he's looking at um the photo in the red room, and you see part of his ex's face, and then it just turns, and you get that quick loud music sting. Oh. It definitely has kind of those tropey early two thousands annoyances that I'm not too fond of. Mm-hmm. But I I will also say on. on the flip side of that i love small impossibilities and i think one of my favorite scares in the entire film is you know he's running away he's going through the building um he climbs out the window and he's crawling down the ladder and then you look up and she's just crawling towards him mm. effortlessly I, I love that mm. and, and i that could definitely be in subjective taste for sure
1: no i agree with you that scene is fantastic mm. Uh, I I think why I'm so terrified of these type of movies is... Because ghosts don't follow any rules, like normal (laughs) physics rules. They can do anything. They can crawl down ladders headfirst. They can walk (laughs) on ceilings. They can come out of sinks. And that's what's terrifying, I think, because it's so unpredictable. I would say, uh, Conrad, that scene that you mentioned being not so scary, I do agree that wasn't as scary. And I actually had to replay that scene to figure out what was actually going on (laughs) because I didn't even realize that that was supposed to be J but i found most of the scary scenes terrifying and i kind of like the fact that it didn't spend too much time dwelling on the scene that scene where um is looking at the photograph and it, and it moves i thought it was really nice how it was just a little bit of a sting and then move on next scene it wasn't like a huge sting as well because if you've ever looked at the audio waveform of horror movies It's just ridiculous how it goes from no sound to just like boom, like just slammed, compressed, (laughs) distorted, holy crap, loudest sound possible. So I'm kind of glad that this film does not do that. There are obviously some jump scares. The best scene that everyone always talks about is that flickering light scene.
2: Oh, perfect.
1: Where he's just fumbling around in the dark and there's sort of sporadic flashes of the camera and the lights and you see kind of... Only frames like tiny short bursts of images and her in the background. It's, it, I love how it, there's not really any music in that scene as well. It's just a, a couple of kind of ominous sounds, and, and it's mostly just him, or the character tone, just fumbling around in the dark and panting. And then it crescendos, but it doesn't really crescendo. There's a really quick flash of her in front of him, and then he turns on the light straight away, and it just moves on. And I, I really love that. It doesn't really... I hate it in in a lot of western movies where there's a big jump scare and it's almost like they they jump out of the camera (laughs) it's it's like why are they doing that
2: (laughs) that was one of the other scenes that reminded me a lot of um, James Wan Ah. because we get something very similar to that in um, his film with Leigh Whannell Saw you know where one of the characters his only source of light in that first film he he has the camera and he's using the flash and then you have that person in the pig mask hiding in the closet Uh so I definitely think James one had to have taken some type of inspiration from Bang
0: Yong's style
2: in some degree or form. Yeah, oh. definitely.
0: I mean, I have to be a bit of a party pooper and say that that scene didn't work for me either. It didn't seem to effectively build suspense or a sense of impending threat, it just seemed to be a montage of random flashes. And she would appear at different places, in different distances, so it wasn't as though she was getting closer to him or something, no mounting tension. Oh. It was just random flashes, tons shouting, who is it, who is it, over again. Yes. And all I could hear, I was listening to it on the headphones, and all I could hear were bare feet just slapping around the room like she's stumbling around drunk or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, Yeah, I, it just pitched me over into giggling. I didn't find it scary at all. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm
1: glad it worked. For you no I found it terrifying yeah yeah oh. <laughs> now it's time for random trivia so Dan what spooky
0: piece of trivia have you discovered lurking in the background of a photograph today
1: <laughs> well this movie Shutter you actually leaked this trivia in our last episode house <laughs> when we announced the Whoops. film but It's worth saying um, this movie, Shutter, has been remade three times. Mm. The movie Civvy... In 2007, Indian remake in the language of Tamil. Shutter in 2008, the American remake with uh, mm. the heartthrob Joshua Jackson. Yes. And also the third remake was Click in 2010, another Indian remake, but in the language of Hindi. Ah. So it's a very popular story that seems to be remade again and again. Yeah. So, <laughs> How long before
0: Blumhouse does it again? I yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, it might be the next grudge tank movie in the box office. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: wait for it next January, dumped on audiences.
1: <laughs> and that's our trivia. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would love to talk about with this film is I find with a lot of foreign films, not just Asian cinema, but um, foreign films in general, they don't follow the same sort of structure uh, and storytelling that a lot of Western films do. With this film, I found it really interesting that it kind of showcases Tun as the main character. But as the sort of story progresses, like you kind of see Jane as being more of a main character and as sort of the twist is revealed, Tuna's a bad guy he's not the good guy that you're rooting for. You don't want him to succeed in the end, really.
2: I definitely think that with this film and and why I'm even attracted to it now after all these years is it feels so relevant. I was talking with our editorial team and um, one of my writers is going to work something up, but we were, we were talking about it and, and it, honestly makes a really good analog for kind of what's going on right now with like the me too movement Uh and being able to be like dropped in the middle of this and like, Oh, he's not such a bad guy. And then as you learn more and it's like, well, you know, bad guys aren't people twisting their mustaches, you know, it's like (laughs) they're everywhere and they work at your job and you go to school with them. Like you don't know what kind of facade people put on and kind of like Jane realizing like, yeah, you kind of are an asshole. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what you did was absolutely horrible Mm -hmm. and you deserve every bit that's coming to you. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's almost very much ahead of its time in that sense. And particularly I was quite surprised to see in the American remake, which followed four years later, they would cast somebody as well-loved as Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek Mm. and not soften that character at all. You still find out that he had a secret shame girlfriend that he got sick of because he wasn't that into her and she was getting quite clingy. So he tells his friends he wants to get rid of her and then they end up gang raping her while he takes photographs. I mean, I can't imagine a worse betrayal short of murdering her. And they don't soften it at all in the American version. In fact, the structural change that you noticed, Dan is even more pronounced in the American version because it very much shifts towards Jane's perspective from the second act onwards. And Joshua Jackson becomes this figure of fear, this thing to be frightened of. And the ghost changes from being an avenging angel to being the typical ghost with a warning. She's Uh trying to tell Jane, hey, this guy you've just married he's an asshole, mm. So that's kind of different. But in this movie, yeah, the structure is odd because it does shift towards Jane and then she kind of just gives up on this guy and disappears. And so you're left with a protagonist you don't really want to root for, so you're just sort of waiting to see what happens to him, which is very different from what we're used to. Yes.
2: Definitely. Yeah, Jane feels more... Um, in my opinion, she doesn't feel like a whole character. She's just kind of there to console ton and you know help him get his photographs and maybe create more of an audience impact when we find out what he's done so ton is your protagonist the entire time for better or for worse and though we do get the perspective of Jane she's definitely not full into her own as I would have liked um and and I don't know how they how they do that in the American remake if the spouse or partner figure is is more plays an integral role in that plot
0: yeah she very much does she becomes the audience identification figure from pretty much the second act words whereas this movie the Thai original you're left with ton as you say as the old protagonist and it's really difficult to figure out his motives or even how much he knows because at one point his friends say to him have you still got the photographs and he says what photographs and i'm thinking to myself How many gang rape crimes have you taken pictures of? You know, that he doesn't immediately know which photographs they're talking about. I just found him baffling. I didn't know how much he knew, how much he'd forgotten, how much he was repressing. I just found him very difficult to get a handle on. Mm.
2: And I wonder if that's part of um, his character arc of not accepting responsibility is him being so devoid from that situation in general. He's like, oh, well, that's not my fault. Mm. It's not my fault what she did. And so I wonder if it's also kind of, like you said, maybe a form of uh, repression in a way. And through the journey of the film, he's calling everything back and also realizing, ah, well... Maybe it is my fault.
1: Yeah, Hmm. just slightly. I mean, it it could be also to do with that sort of pressure of friends and being uh, sort of loyal to his friends and sort of upholding his masculinity, which he comes to grips with at the end. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like he sees his friends as being more important and not seeing that he's done anything wrong because he hasn't been an active participant in the rape. But then. Just by being there and not calling out or supporting his um, ex-girlfriend, he is also just as bad as his friends are. Yeah, right.
0: Just standing by and taking photos, which his friends ask him to take, which baffled me because you would have thought it—it's a photograph of a crime. It implicates them more than anything else. It's just evidence, but it seemed to me as though it was that was the aim—that this was blackmail material that would scare her away. That her being compromised like this was worse for her than it would be for. Them them which surprised me i don't know if that's just a cultural difference
1: i think it's kind of a sort of snapshot of a different time as well like there have been so many cases where girls have stepped forward and the guy getting away with it mm. and i feel like this is kind of like that it's more shaming for the girl than it is for the guy mm. like she is blamed for being raped It's a sad sign of what it used to be, and I'm glad things have changed. Well, hopefully things are changing changing, yeah a long way
0: to go i think (laughs) still unfortunately yeah it's pretty heady stuff that this film deals with but i think that's what makes it particularly interesting and i wondered if that's because it does come from thailand rather than most of the asian horror we've seen which tends to be from japan so you get something like sadako in the ring is avenging being murdered being pitched into a well by her parents and left there to die which she obviously wasn't very pleased about. Mm. Whereas this is somebody experiencing a terrible sexual assault and committing suicide and coming back to avenge that. And I read somewhere that it could reflect a tension between the very traditional Buddhist culture of Thailand and the reality of what's happening in Bangkok in terms of sex tourism and being known as the Sin City of Asia. And there's a yeah, there's a tension there that maybe this reflects.
1: Mm.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I like the idea that um, the film is maybe calling out the local culture that so many people have been afflicted with. Um, unfortunately. that That's definitely an interesting perspective.
0: Mm. Mm. One thing that genuinely confused me is how exactly Net's mother managed to hold on to her daughter's dead body for so long. Because after she leaves Bangkok, Net is understandably traumatised and depressed and she attempts suicide by overdose. But her mother catches her and manages to get her to the hospital in time. Mm. But the hospital presumably has terrible suicide protocols because they let her wander out of the ward and pitch her herself off the roof for a second successful suicide attempt. But presumably, Net lands on her mother's car or something because her mother's <laughs> able to get her body home without anybody noticing, no authorities intervene, nobody wonders where this person has gone. <laughs> and she puts her in the bedroom, ready for when Tun and Jane discover her for the terrifying corpse scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and I say that sort of flippantly, but I'm genuinely puzzled by how this turn of events could have actually transpired. Hmm. Right,
2: right. There's a thing and um, a lot of screenwriters talk about often is the idea of like movies within movies, right? It's like the different stories you could tell from the varying perspectives in a script. Yeah. So like it seems to me that like that's an entirely different movie of its own that I would be very interested in seeing. Um, <laughs> like like, did she just park her flatbed truck perfectly by the window like uh, not <laughs> smack landed in it and then she just, you know, put the tail gate up and drove off like um you know it, it does raise a lot of good questions like how how did she even do this and and why would she do this yeah yeah, yeah i i couldn't tell you but it definitely i think to me adds maybe to kind of a bigger narrative and that um Ghosts aren't the only thing to fear in this world either. Mm, <laughs> yeah,
1: mm. very true. <laughs> okay, are there any sort of production aspects of this film that you guys were interested to talk about?
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about music and sound, particularly the sound, because I was quite surprised at how amateurish it was sometimes like a lot of the time, it sounded like they were using the onset recorded sound, uh-huh. even when characters are facing away from the microphone and their voices are muffled. <laughs> like, there's a scene in the car where two characters are talking to each other, and you can hear the rain being sprayed on the car more than you can hear the dialogue. Oh. I was just a bit shocked, Dan, being the sound designer that you are, what did you make of that?
1: Uh, I didn't have any qualms. With that. The sound design. Did you um, yeah, I, I guess stuff like that can be a little bit excusable. Uh, I know how tough it is to get good sound in locations and getting it consistent. Yeah, I didn't find the sound design at all distracting. I found a lot of it actually quite well done and quite restrained. Uh, I mean, there's one scene where Jane is in that laboratory and she's taking pictures and trying to find out if the ghost is there. And there's like hardly any music and it's just sound. And it's very subtle sound as well. Like, even the footsteps when she's walking backwards, it's very quiet. So, yeah, I, I actually found the sound design like, pretty good. And I like the fact that the jump scares weren't too over the top. There was that scream sound that they used in a lot of scenes though. Yeah. Where <laughs> with the net goes screaming and and a lot of scenes where it's like are we hearing the scream or is the character hearing the scream? I'm not even sure. Is, is, it, is it more like a sting or is it, is it in the scene? Um, so, yeah, that was a bit confusing. But uh, no, I found the sound mostly like pretty impressive.
2: I mean, sound is always so, so, so important. And, and I definitely kind of like maybe more of the um, grassroots naturalist approach to it it could either be a limitation or you could kind of flag it as a uh, stylistic choice. Mm. The setting itself, you kind of have all these like brutalist apartment buildings, um, big concrete buildings. Everything's kind of covered in photographs and newspaper. And you don't really get a lot of natural scenes except when they're kind of leaving the city and, and they're seeing more of like the countryside. It sets you in a mood for sure. Yeah, I, I know in a lot of American films, people tend to like having music mm. um, because it, it lets them know that something is going on mm-hmm. <laughs> and people get uncomfortable with quiet and with silence. And maybe the scenes that we do get, you know, more quiet a setting, mm. it's to the film's benefit for sure. Mm. Uh,
1: you mentioned about the apartments and, and set design. I love in these Asian, a lot of Asian films, I saw I recently watched Pulse. All of these apartments look very lived in. They always look very cluttered and just quite normal looking. Whereas ugh, so many American films where they go into an apartment that looks like the most expensive apartment they could possibly <laughs> <laughs> they could possibly live in, with its open plan set up and like a swing in a hammock and marble <laughs> bench tops and stuff. You're a school teacher, and 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 I don't have a job. I am I'm, I'm
2: selling uh stuff on my Etsy store, and we have a five thousand dollar penthouse. Like, exactly. That, that's not <laughs> feasible. This isn't how real life works. <laughs>
0: Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards.
1: All right, it's just me and Conrad, and I'm sure you've all got sore necks holding up all that heavy anticipation for the Moobly Awards where we nominate a number of our favourite photo-worthy parts of the film in a plethora of morally questionable categories. Best
0: Quote! So my favourite quote in the movie was Tun relating the story of his relationship with Net to Jane, and he says, "I was a total asshole." And I thought, "Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: understatement of the year there, Tun." Um, Accurate. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is in that case he's referring to when he broke it off with Net. It's not when he was photographing her being gang-raped by his friends. Mm.
1: Yeah. Not a great guy. My favourite quote, maybe not so serious, <laughs> is, uh, is when Tan <laughs> first picks up the, uh, the developed photos from the photo store and he finds out there are these kind of light flare blemishes all over the photos and he sort of complains to the shopkeeper about it. And the shopkeeper replies, You punk! If the prints turn out nice, you get the credit. If they suck, it's my fault. But I'm sure <laughs> every commercial photo developer had this exact conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> most naughty, naughty, naughty moment. moment.
0: Well, that segues quite nicely to what I thought was the most naughty thing about this movie, which is the last gasp of photochemical print photography, which uh... even when One Hour Photo came out in 2002, felt as though it was kind of... Dated and falling by the wayside, so Shutter in 2004 still having people developing photos photochemically is a bit of a surprise. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I feel like in that sort of decade as well the early 2000s all of my friends uh, were doing analogue photo developing and had their own dark room set up in their dingy flats yeah (laughs) it was definitely all the rage (laughs) my most 2000s thing about this movie is I guess it's all of these kind of movies having that sort of yeah I mentioned it before that sort of fascination with technology being a horrifying thing Uh, you've got the ring Mm. with the TV there's also one missed call with uh, mobile phones yeah and this with photography mm. and and then now you've got a multitude of terrible terrible movies like unfriended and <laughs> all <of> the other <laughs> app based uh horror movies maybe not so good but uh yeah i feel like the early 2000s and late 90s sort of rise of technology horror mm. this being one of them
0: best hair or costume My only comment about hair and costume in this movie is I thought that it was particularly fortunate that Tun decided to sleep in jeans just before that final climactic chase that drives him down the flight of stairs and outside the building and down ladders in the rain and so Uh on. Because I, I don't know about you, I've never slept in a pair of jeans on purpose.
1: No, no, it's not the most comfortable item of clothing. Really, isn't
0: <laughs> But Ananda Everingham does deserve a lot of kudos for his hair. It is beautiful throughout the entire movie.
1: Yeah, it's that sort of nice balance between dishevelled and just perfectly placed.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. No matter how much he's being haunted or chased or woken up in the middle of the night. It's always looking great. Mm -hmm. Favourite scene.
1: Yeah, my favourite scene, I I have mentioned it before. Um, It's such a simple scene, and I think for a lot of people it will be completely unremarkable, but it's when Jane is investigating the lab uh, at the university and she's kind of quietly walking around, taking photos, trying to see if she could capture the spirit on the Polaroid. And it's just, I, I really love the sort of restraint in sound like there, there's hardly any sound in it, mm. just a gentle kind of wind sound of the curtains billowing and it's just a very quiet scene and because of it it's, it's really tense. Mm. But then of course you have the jump scare of a completely <laughs> unexplained scream coming from nowhere <laughs> yeah, which makes Jane jump and run away and then the, the photograph on the wall falls and smashes and that sort of horror trope Thing. But I still love the scene. I thought it was was effective in its simplicity. Yeah, I like that scene as well. And for you, Conrad.
0: My favourite scene would have to be the chase through the building, through the multiple level fours over and over again, and finally out onto the ladder. Particularly, I love those sort of Blade Runner shots of looking down with rain passing the camera yeah. and falling by the camera, the huge raindrops, and then looking yes. up and and seeing the uh, the ghost impossibly crawling downwards on the ladder sort of head first yeah really good effect and i i thought it was very chilling and unexpected and full of dread and horror i thought yeah that's asian
1: horror at its finest mm, I think that's mm. it. yeah I, I would agree that scene where he's running down the floors and it's the same level four floor over and over and over i recently watched a movie actually uh with a similar premise it's called the incident it's a mexican film and it's got these two characters and they're engaged in the chase they're trying to get out of this building but they keep arriving at the same floor in the steel well over and over and over again Um, but in this movie they actually get trapped there and they, they they're forced to eat the vending machine food which keeps restocking itself it's a, uh, it's a really bizarre uh film actually but uh, you should uh, check it out the incident
0: most cliched horror moment so one of my favorite horror cliches is the surprisingly relevant lecture that one of the characters will go to so ah, it doesn't matter what yes. kind of weird experience <laughs> they're happening their next class will be on something that's exactly right for that situation. So Jane goes to school and she gets a lecture on how photographs don't necessarily show reality. They are coloured by perception. Mm -hmm. And therefore there can be things in them that reflect the artist's vision or the emotion of the artist rather than just stark reality. And I thought, oh, how apt considering what's happening to her. Yeah. <laughs> it always seems to happen.
1: Really does. I think of the lectern, The Fury, where it's exactly mm. about the powers that she <laughs> yeah. has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lucky, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would say my cliche uh, it's the double jump scare. Oh. So he wakes up and we've got the net ghost crawling towards him does he wake up again or does he look away and she's gone but anyway she she Mm. disappears and so of course he has to check underneath the bed and we all know you never check underneath the bed in a horror film (laughs) because as soon as you sit up there's always the ghost there waiting for you to give you another jump scare, And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many yeah. movies have that double chicken under the bed jump scare scene. Yeah.
0: Every single time. Or it's a toy clown in Poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> favourite special effect.
0: My favourite special effect was Ned walking upside down on the ceiling in the hallway in that scene I was talking about earlier. Because it's obviously a rotated set, but you only realize that when she starts moving. Originally, I thought she was actually hung upside down because her hair's sticking up and it's so convincing.
2: Yeah. But actually yeah. I
0: think it must be a rotated set because she starts walking towards the camera and it's really freaky because I it's know. not what you're expecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a simple effect, but it's really good the way they deploy
1: it. I mean my favorite effect is in is the following scene where she's crawling mm-hmm. down the ladder. It defies gravity yeah. and physics and possibility, but it's it's just <laughs> one of those things that ghost movies can do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really freaky. Really, really freaky. Yeah, and I love the sense of dread that he has, he knows that she's there
0: and he just doesn't want to look and then he looks and there she is, (laughs) it's great.
1: Ghost sound effect. My favourite sound effect, I guess, I don't know whether it was my favourite, it's one I noticed and I've mentioned it already, but Ned's scream. You you hear it three times in the film. Uh, The first time is when Jane has that first encounter with Nett in the dark room and she rises up from the sink mm. and then there's a very quick shot of her kind of reaching out and then you hear that scream sound. Oh yeah. The next time you hear it is in the lab scene where it comes out of nowhere and of course- <laughs> the, 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 For the, no to- reason. Yeah. and. <laughs> <laughs> the third time you hear it uh is in the flashback where we see net like in torment in the dark room she's she's slitting her wrists and uh, yeah. screams out to Tun and it's yeah uh Ah, pretty confronting scene, I guess. <laughs> yes, that's pretty chilling, that one, yeah. But I, I like the, the use of this, of that scream to kind of foreshadow and then finally reveal. Yeah,
0: although the one in the lab really does piss me off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite sound, Conrad?
0: Mine was the camera flash recharging whine, that sort of sort of noise I just love that it happens during the ah, photo session yeah. scene where he's being chased around the room by a drunk ghost in bare feet Apparently, and that's what it sounds like anyway. But <laughs> occasionally in between all these flashes you will hear yes. that very characteristic flash recharging noise. Uh, I don't know whether you get that anymore on modern digital cameras, but I always associate it with autopsy scenes because of silence of the lambs. It's
1: oh, just yeah, a very yeah.
0: distinctive sound. Yeah,
1: yeah. Crime scenes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, I know you chuckled at that scene, but I found that sound in particular added so much tension and made it much more suspenseful. Yeah. Most funniest scene. Oh, For me it has to be the lady boy scene. It's when <laughs> Ton goes to the public restroom and he runs out of toilet paper so he knocks on the cubicle and a very beautifully nail polished hand appears from under the cubicle <laughs> handing him the toilet paper so he freaks out jumps out of the cubicle and kicks the door down of the cubicle next door <laughs> and instead of the ghost that he thinks it's going to be it is a very surprise lady boy i mean the the fart sound just is the cherry on top it's just it's hilarious <laughs> and the subtitles for that scene for me was would you mind if i shit first <laughs> which is just oh, so God. good <laughs> <laughs> i obviously had the polite
0: british dvd that said poo <laughs> That's hilarious. (laughs) So what was your funniest scene then? Uh, For me, unfortunately, I was doing the thing that you do sometimes, which is laugh at scenes that are supposed to be scary. So mine was Ned's ghost floating outside the passenger window when Tun and Jane are driving late one night. I don't know what it is I think it's just the fact that she is practically there there's no visual effects on her so it's just her wide-eyed stunned look just makes her look as though she's been trapped like her nightdress has been caught in the door when they drove (laughs) off and she's like trying desperately to hang on to keep up with them or something Yeah. and she's just sort of wobbling around out there I just burst
1: into hysterics (laughs) I'm sorry I found it hilarious It kind of reminds me of the spoof Movies, um, scary movie, like that's a scene that you would yeah. see in a scary movie. What, what's it doing in Shutter? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's our Moobly Award. Mm-hmm. So we are back for the final verdict. Should Shutter be released from the spirit realm to wreak terror and sleepless nights on the shoulders of everyone in the world? Or should it be hit by a car and left for dead, dumped in the oubliette to be forgotten forever? Anthony, you are our special guest today. What's your final verdict for the film?
2: So I definitely think that foreign language films and even foreign language remakes are really important, especially in Western audiences, for us to be exposed to more films in general. This was part of kind of that Asian horror boom in the early 2000s, and and this was definitely a standout among those films. And I definitely think that it, it still deserves contemporary conversations. I say...
1: It should be released. That is my vote. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the same. It wasn't actually as terrifying as I kind of expected this movie to be. The scares weren't as frightening, but the movie as a whole is just full of ominous, unsettling tension. And I really did like the sort of not conventional structure in terms of following the characters. The end twist for me was a huge shocker. I loved that. Yeah, I just felt really uneasy. I loved the experience of this film. There are some flaws I will admit, a few little plot things that don't really make a lot of sense. (laughs) On the whole, I I really enjoyed this film and would recommend it to many people. Uh, I think... Thailand needs to make more horror films.
0: Ah. Well, I'm going to be the lone voice uh, calling for <laughs> <laughs> for it to be thrown back, but I'm outvoted, so it's fine. I was surprised it didn't work for me. I'm a huge fan ah. of Asian horror movies, but perhaps I was just over-familiar with some of the elements that were inspired by this film and I'm coming to this film late so they feel tired even though they were original when this film was released. But for me, th- this film just left me cold and I found it very oh. difficult to have a central protagonist when all of the secrets were revealed. was a complete douchebag, although... I think it's very important that we tell these stories and we make people realise how awful these things are. But at the same time, I didn't have anyone to root for because Jane kind of disappeared and some of the suspense scenes were a bit clunky. Some of them are amazing. The whole ladder sequence is incredible. But some of them just left me cold and some of them actually provoked laughter. So I, I wasn't sort of tense watching the movie at all. It didn't work for me. So... I would be the lone voice that would be saying, toss that one back in there, unfortunately. (laughs) But none of that matters. I've been outvoted. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> You're dead inside. You're dead inside. <laughs> I must be, I must be.
0: But I was I was pleased to experience it and was very interested in talking about it with you, Anthony. Mm.
2: It's a film that I don't see a lot in conversation um, as of late, and I definitely think it deserves to maybe be kind of reappropriated and and rediscussed. Mm, mm.
1: Mm. So we're sitting afraid. We are. The it gets, the hornier I get.
0: So, Anthony, it's been great having you with us today to talk about this movie. I'm sure everyone listening has enjoyed hearing your thoughts on it. Where can they follow you to get more of your insights?
2: Sure thing. If you're a horror movie fiend like I am... I recommend you follow us um, either on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, wherever you find uh, your social gatherings. You can find us on s- just at Something Ghoulish, and you can find our podcasts, videos, and think pieces at somethingghoulish.com. We're always interested in you know curating diverse perspectives about films that Terrify us to the core, and we're also very passionate about it. And I, I hope that came through on this episode.
1: And you have some fantastic guests on your podcast as well. Uh, you had April Wolf talking about. Black Christmas. You had the illustrator from Goosebumps. Oh yes, amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Tim Jacobus. He was a phenomenal guest. You know, we had the composer from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Come on, wow. Mm -hmm. Ashley Blackwell, who is an executive producer on the horror noir documentary on Shudder. Um, with a D, not a T. Uh, yeah, we, we have some amazing guests on our podcast, Ghoulish Cast, where we chat with creators across the industry about their work and why it's important and kind of do a deep dive into that.
1: So, yes, please check out Something Ghoulish. And if you want to keep in touch with us, we are on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as Movie Ubliet. Yes, and even Reddit these
0: days if you want to chat to us there. And if you want to email us, we're available at movie.ubliet
1: at gmail.com com. Mm, and please give us a rating and review if you haven't already yes. on Apple Podcasts or any other <laughs> platform that you use.
0: Yes, we love praise but even more so we love cold hard cash. So if you'd like to yes. give us some of yours, please head on over to Patreon. For as little as a dollar you can suggest movies for future episodes and for $5 you get access to lots of bonus goodies that are exclusive to our patrons.
1: Mm. So Conrad, uh, what are we going to be doing next Episode.
0: Well, in honour of Lee Whannell's upcoming film, The Invisible Man, which I'm very excited about, we thought that we would take a look back at a previous Invisible Man movie that's kind of been forgotten over the years. So we'll be talking about the 2000 science fiction thriller... Hollow Man.
1: Ah, that's the one with Kevin Bacon, right?
0: Yes, Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue, Josh Brolin. It's quite a cast, actually. And it's directed by none other than Paul Verhoeven, although everybody remembers Robocop and Total Recall and Basic Instinct. Mm -hmm. But nestled down there in the oubliette is Hollow Man, which nobody remembers. (laughs) Let's pluck it out and give it a good look if we can see it. Oh that's a lame joke. <laughs> that's I'm <really> sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Keep it in. Just leave just leave it all in there. Sorry about that folks. Sorry, Anthony. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks very much, Anthony, for joining us. It's been so much fun. Such a great discussion about Shutter.
2: Thank you so much. It's uh, It's been an honor. Good evening. Thanks for listening,
1: everyone. Bye for now.
0: Bye. I was such an asshole.